In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. A greater problem than world hunger is world satiety, or satiety, tomato, tomato, whatever the pronunciation, as long as it's on our plates. While God certainly shows concern for the poor and for the feeding of the poor, it is equally, if not all the more true, that human fullness presents the greater problem. If Augustine was correct that each person has a God-shaped emptiness or a God-shaped hunger within, the problem is not the hunger itself, but rather the attempt to sate this hunger with anything and everything but God. Thus, a fallen man is a gluttonous man perpetually keeping himself and his life too full for God. The so-called epidemic of obesity in our country is but a physical manifestation of our collective spiritual condition. Whether physically rich or poor, physically skinny or fat, we are perpetual consumers of one thing or another as long as that one thing isn't God. We stop only when our bank accounts are down, or if credit card debt is any indicator, not even then. Of course, one need look no further than our modern politicians and our national debt to see a kind of greed and gluttony and lust that is truly bottomless. One can be skin and bones, but be obese of heart. And if when someone points out certain physical truths, it hurts, then how much more the spiritual truths. But would that we all had that filterless grandmother to point it out. Indeed, just as God's word points out our flabbiness, our loneliness, our unhappiness, and all the dumb things we're pursuing instead of those things most needful. And of course, God's word doesn't mind if it hurts your feelings, because God loves you enough to tell you the truth. So, for example, in Psalm 119, verse 70, in the New King James Version, we have this wonderful phrase, their heart is as fat as grease. And from the New Testament, James' epistle, therein he writes, you have lived in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. Even St. Paul gets in on the action in his letter to the Corinthians where he writes with bitter sarcasm, you are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I wish you did reign that we also might reign with you. While physical gluttony is certainly a deadly sin, as indeed all sins are, It is known as a deadly sin precisely because it is the manifestation 
of the spiritual condition of fallen man. The voraciousness and constancy of our covetousness, so natural to us that St. Paul seems to be saying, had not the law of God itself indicated to me that my covetousness was a sin, I wouldn't have even recognized it as such. Thus, humanity in general and individuals in particular find themselves constantly craving something else, something more, something new. God, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, is boring. And in the busyness of their pursuits and in the satiety of all the pleasures, they find themselves way too full for the one thing that would in fact give them life, too full for God. It is interesting within our gospel text that there is a miracle within a miracle, and maybe more than that. But Jesus leads the people, teaching them for three full days. The implication is that he leads them into the wilderness for three full days. He leads them into hunger before he gives them food. When we contrast the feeding of the 5,000 with today's text, the feeding of the 4,000, we can see how the numbers are at work to tell a truth about what God is doing in each. Five times 1,000, 1,000 being the number of fullness, five being representative of the five books of the law, and the 12 baskets filled at the end of the feeding of the 5,000 show that this is God in Christ Jesus providing bread in the wilderness for his people. What then about the feeding of the 4,000? Well, four, again, times 1,000, the number of fullness, and you heard that number four hinted at in our Old Testament reading with the four rivers or the four winds or the four corners of the earth. And what's left is not 12 basketfuls, but seven basketfuls, just like the seven days of the week. What's in view here is the feeding not just of his own people, but the feeding of all people, Gentiles included, and the renewal of all creation. But again, Jesus leads them to hunger before he feeds them. And there's a spiritual parallel to this that we must be led to see and understand our hunger. It is not spiritual hungering that is the problem. It is, of course, the engorgement and glut and gratification and indulgence, the abuse of creation as we prefer it to the creator. The words immortalized in a movie that will not be named are nonetheless poignantly true. I eat because I'm unhappy and I'm unhappy because I eat. But of course, you could take out the word eat and put in just about anything. I do X because I'm unhappy, and I'm unhappy because I do X. Sin temporarily fills the void, 
only to deepen it. It gives temporary joy and then consumes us with emptiness, sadness, and shame. But interestingly, Jesus doesn't tell us to stop hungering. He says instead, I am the bread of life. In fact, he calls those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, blessed. Eat of him and you will have this righteousness. Eat of him and you will be blessed. Eat of him and you will be satisfied. You will find in him that which begins to diminish your ravenous hunger for sin, and that which begins to reorder disordered desires. In him we find that which satisfies, indeed, true food for the soul. And we find this motif thoroughgoing in the scriptures. Psalm 34, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Mary tells us in the Magnificat that he feeds the hungry with good things, but the rich or full he sends empty away. We even have a hint of this in our gospel text where tasting of his word, the crowds do not desire food for three days. So to revisit the New King James Version of Psalm 119.70, their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey in the mouth. What we see then is a kind of spiritual eating, eating with the soul, eating with the heart, eating with Faith, that is the instrument that receives Jesus as the bread of life. But of course, we remember in the fall that it was not merely a spiritual eating that led us to sin and death, but a physical eating along with it. A spiritual eating as Eve ate up the words of the serpent, and a physical eating as she put her lips to the fruit. And so, as God seeks to remedy this very thing, he gives us a food that is simultaneously spiritual and physical. He gives us food that is received by the soul insofar as it is his word and received by the body as the, or as the very bread and wine are placed upon your lips. And these two are wed into one, a food for body and soul, as Christ puts his body upon your tongue and pours his blood into your lips to undo that ancient eating for you for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is exactly what we hunger for. Not just any forgiveness, but God's divine forgiveness. 
And he pours this out for you, sets it before you this very day that you may, be eat, that you may eat and be satisfied. Here is true comfort food. True food for body and for soul. True food in which we find healing and rest. Again, to paraphrase Augustine, our hearts are restless and hungry until they find their rest and their fullness in God. For for him we were made. In the bread of life and the wine of immortality, we have a foretaste of the end of physical hunger and spiritual hunger, a foretaste of the end of all our disordered desires, an end of physical gluttony and spiritual gluttony, an end of never feeling satisfied. In this body and in this blood, we have a foretaste of true health and creation brought back into order and goodness ourselves along with it, a foretaste of a feast that is very soon to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.